This is Tiffany Fontenot and Patrick Oliver, or we are here a literacy space for black boys and young black men. And today we have two very special guests who have made a big impact in literacy for, for our black community. The Hudsons are here. And if Patrick, you can go ahead and, and set, up, set up introducing them, that'd be great. Yeah, well, I just want to say, uh, first of all, uh, thank uh, Wade Hudson and Cheryl Willis Hudson for uh, joining us on, on a Saturday morning, you know. I mean, hey, we, many of us, we have so many things we do on Saturday. You know, our weekend is typically a time we kind of decompress and find time for ourselves. So on behalf of Tiffany and myself, we really want to thank you for, you know, again, taking your Saturday out to be here with us. You know, so again, you know, uh, thank you. And also uh, to those of us who are on with us, same thing for you who are viewing us. Well, thank you for taking your time out on Saturday to really come and learn about the importance of Black literature, publishing, and you know, and how we engage young Black boys in that so they can be empowered for the future. And what better guests to have to talk about that are uh, the awesome, phenomenal, yeah, I'm gonna throw all these adjectives out there, <laughs> wonderful, exceptional, because uh, I can say that because I've experienced all of that uh, by being, I can say, friends uh, with Cheryl and Wade for, what, we've been, what, 20 years now? At 20, least? 20 plus, yeah. 20 yeah, plus years 20, yeah. that we have been, you know, working together as, you know, as friends and, and associates, you know, so it is definitely a plus. And the work they have been doing, it is phenomenal. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the importance of, of, of their work as publishers and how it impacts uh, young people uh, around the world, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So that that's extremely important. So before I just get started in my um, in me and Tiffany's questions, will Cheryl and Wade just kind of say a couple of minutes or minutes or so to say hello to the folks out there who are joining us. Well, good, good morning, good afternoon. Well, it's going to be before noon and across the country. So good morning to, to all of you on Facebook Live. I'm really happy to be here to talk about books, which is one of our favorite things uh, to do. I'm Cheryl Willis Hudson. I'm a co-founder with Wade of Justice Books, a publishing company, independent publishers, and we focus on Black interest books for uh, young people. Uh, we started our company over 33 years ago. And uh, we started really as parents who you know, wanted to get some of this uh, great literature uh, to our, our kids. Uh, and uh, in that process uh, established a, a publishing um, company with uh, 100 titles uh, in print and we're, we're still going on. So welcome and thank you to all of our readers who've supported us all these years. And I'm Wade Hudson, the other half of what Patrick called the dynamic duo. <laughs> and um, yes, yes. Yeah, but we we uh, today we want to talk to about two new uh, books that we have out. Um, both were released on October the twelfth. Uh, the first is an anthology called Recognize, an anthology honoring and amplifying Black life, and the second one is my coming of age memoir about growing up during the civil rights uh, period. Uh, in a little small town in Louisiana. Uh, and I'm re very excited about that book. And both books have gotten really great responses. And, yes. uh, you know, and uh, has been, uh, both have been well received. So 
we're happy to be able to talk about those two books as well as yes. talk about our journey um, as, as uh, publishers and writers and activists and advocates and all of those good things. Mm -hmm. I think that your books have come at the best time actually, because they complement each other so well. Can you speak to how they complement each other so that teachers who, are, who can look at the memoir and then look at the anthology and think about like how these two things work together so that they can use them within classrooms? Well, you know, recognize is a command, uh, it's declarative, recognize. Uh, and, and that is to, uh, make aware, put in front of your face, something that you know is already there. Uh, so recognize the collection of anthology. There are 32 contributors, including Wade and myself, of poems, uh, letters, um, essays, uh, a tribute to black folklore. Um, there are so many different styles of literature and visual art in this uh, collection. And the collection really speaks to honoring and amplifying black life as really a, a result of it came together as a result of responses to and wanting to put in print and make available affirmations of the fact that black lives matter. And it came after the, on the heels of the murder of, of George Floyd and how that one incident among many others actually uh, mobilized people in a global sense to, to recognize that Black Lives Matter and distortions of imagery that uh, were out in the media uh, and you know police brutality, all of that uh, were things that we need to look at and recognize as antithetical to our lives and the value of our lives. So uh, this collection speaks to that. And I think Wade can connect it to, uh, this is contemporary, all the authors are contemporary. There are uh, some, uh, portions of it that recognize um, legacy uh, people in our history like James Baldwin and uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune and Daisy Bates, all people who recognize the value of black life. Um, and that's, that's something that we've always recognized and not just as a response or result of, of a murder or some social injustice, black lives still have always mattered. Yeah, and I, I think uh, to add to what Cheryl has said, um, Defiant is really saying recognize as well uh, in its way. Um, now I think the connecting thread um, among all the stories and also the, the memoir is that we are telling our own stories. We are defining our own space. Uh, we are sharing our own voice about how we feel about the world around us. Um, and I think that in all of the uh, pieces, whether it's in the anthology, whether it's in, in the uh, Defiant, the memoir, we're not apologizing for who we are. We are declaring who we are. And I think that is so, so important. And in, in, in Defiant, when I set out to write the memoir, you know, I did it sort of hesitantly because uh, I didn't know if I was really ready to tell the story about uh, growing up in the Jim Crow South because I, I knew it was gonna be painful to recall some of the uh, uh, experiences and incidents. But what I found in writing uh, this memoir was how powerful and awesome black folks 
in that little small town were. In spite of uh, Jim Crow, in spite of uh, white folks uh, being determined to dehumanize us and to destroy us, um, and in some ways to annihilate <laughs> annihilate us, yeah, in spite yeah. of all, all of that, man, um, our people provided the nurturing and the love and the caring and the support that enabled me and others like me uh, to dream about a different kind of future than what they had inherited. And um, in writing it, I really gained a new appreciation uh, for those people. And again, that's why I say uh, recognize applies to define also, because what I'm saying is recognize these awesome people too. Yes. What I like too is that for the age that age group that this book can begin with is the age that they start understanding their identity, mm-hmm. right? So these books help confirm where they are with the information that you're providing. One, you have the anthology with these different pieces that works to confirm where they are now in the history that's happening now, but then to also look at Defiant and to see that you know, this, this isn't anything new and that this mm-hmm. happened to a boy in another place and time and to be able to make those connections in different ways too, I think is powerful. Yeah, and in and, and, and Defiant, you know, I am asking questions about what's happening around me uh, and I'm bombarded as everyone uh, was at that time what, what was happening on the news, you know? I mean, so much happened during that, that period of time in the late 50s and, and the 60s. In 63, 1963 alone, um, Mega Evers was killed. I think it was in, in May or June. And then in August, you had the March on Washington. And then in September, those four uh, girls were killed in that church in, in Alabama. And those are just three of the incidents that happened during that year. And so I'm, dealing with all of this, I'm taking all this in and it's having an impact on me just as George Floyd's uh, murder and other uh, incidents are having impact on young people today. And, and again, that's why we, we felt uh, that we had to do the anthology for that particular age group because how are they dealing with all of this news that they have been hit with, you know, all these images of violence and and uh, the human the humanization uh, of of people who look like them, yep. and so I think that there is a connecting tissue. But I think the other thing about it is that no matter what period of time in which you live, you know there are some common threads. You know, and one of them is really uh, asking questions about what's happening, and yes. wondering can it and should it be different from what you of facing, you know, and what can you do to help make it different? Mm-hmm. And even the moral question of, is what's happening right? Yeah. And for kids mm-hmm. to start having a place to feel comfortable and asking that. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, what Wade said is, is so true. They're connecting uh, patterns um, that are conscious and intentional in the anthology recognize. Uh, We're talking about Jim Crow. Uh, We're talking about contemporary uh, authors and illustrators who are writing about Black Lives Matter. And it 
in terms of literature, there's so much there uh, that all of these authors and illustrators can contribute. I think about, we have some legacy authors like Francis uh, Hopkins, who, uh, Hopper, who wrote uh, in the 1850s and she has a, a poem in our um, collection called The Slave Mother. And uh, part of which says, he is not hers, although she bore him for a mother's pain. He is not hers, although her blood is cursing through his veins. And it was a cry of, of a slave mother about her child. And in the same way, uh, George Floyd called out to his mother in a shape poem that Carol Boston Weatherford wrote uh, called Darnella Frazier, who uh, Darnella Frazier was 17 and she was the one who recorded that video. So in 1858, uh, in the time of, uh, Frances Harper, she's writing a poem about the pain of a black mother. And, you know, in 2021, Carol Boston Weatherford is talking about the pain of a child calling out to his mother in that same kind of, of way. So there are a lot of narratives and connective kinds of things that you can do in an anthology that you may not be able to do in just one piece. And I think that's the reason that, that recognize can really be so valuable um, in, in terms of looking at uh, Black joy and Black history and Black agency uh, and, and just agency for people in general during a time at, at which so much, many of our values in terms of social justice uh, are being, being questioned. And I think what, what Recognize also uh, does, uh, to add to what Cheryl is saying, it's sort of, that's the tone uh, for us that declares black folks have been saying that black life matters for nearly 300 years. And black life matters in all aspects of, of our experiences, whether we, we are inventing, we are showing that black life matter, whether we are creating music, whether we are writing books, or whether we are having uh, a family gathering in the backyard barbecuing, we are showing that black life matter. And uh, we are a whole people, not necessarily a fragmented people and where folks recognize our lives when we lose our lives. We recognize our lives, not only when we lose our lives, but as we live our lives, we recognize the importance. Mm -hmm. I, I like that point so much because Another great thing about both of these books are the intergenerational conversation that within our community we need to be having. And I think mm -hmm. both of these books provide, you know, especially the anthology, you know, like places to have these conversations, to think mm -hmm. about, you know, how can we meet and talk differently amongst us about these issues as well. So I think that it lends to that too. Yeah, and to could kind of continue on Tiff somebody in Tiffany's point of. Uh, educators having these books um, and you producing both these two books we're talking about, it almost goes back to the reason you started Just Us Books. You know, if we think about it, you know, it's like you're saying, hey, you better recognize the richness and beautiful beauty of Black culture and it needs to be read, read about. And, you know, you were somewhat defiant in the sense that, hey, we're going to do this. You know, we're going to publish these books if you're not going to do it or not. No, you're exactly right, too. And I think also, Pat, I mean, we, we produced the books that we've done and hundreds of them 
for young people. But I think a part of it is also uh, producing these books for the children that we were, and we didn't have these books. You right. know, so we were uh, uh, addressing that as well, you know. Uh, in Defiant, I talk about uh, not having books uh, in our school library or books in the curriculum that really spoke in any appreciable way to the importance of black life or black history and black culture. And uh, as a young black boy growing up, I was crying out for that, but I didn't know where to turn. You know, I didn't know where to go. And, and I think readers can sort of feel the frustration of that little boy growing up in Mansfield looking for answers that he couldn't really find uh, uh, in, in, in the people from the people around him and from the material that he had available. I, I describe um, having uh, uh, found the interview uh, of Malcolm X that was done in Playboy magazine in 1963. And what a profound impact that had on me because some of the questions I, were, I was asking, uh, Malcolm X addressed uh, in that interview when he talked about how there was a concerted effort to uh, distort and hide black history, you know, so that uh, white history could be promoted, you know, and I started, I started making connections to that. And that opened a whole nother way of not only looking at myself, but looking at the people around me, understanding that it was not their fault, you know, but that, you know, that was a, a grand plan that was instituted over centuries that got us to where we were at that particular time when I was growing up. And two for those who are um, who are understanding that social justice matters and to use this book as a mirror, right? I mean, as a window to mm -hmm. see what this experience is like. So it's important too that you know folks outside of the black community, white folks, other you know minoritized folks, so that they can see the experience and understand it because it is it's it's in a book. It's there. It's it's you know the cycles of these patterns is nothing new. So it, it means a lot for our community and the confirmation to have these books, but also so that others outside of the community can learn from these experiences and the frustrations and the feelings that are, um, that are you know, like relayed in these books so that they can understand that this is not just some, why are they always angry? There's a reason why it's a system to these things and they can understand it through these books. Yeah, exactly. yeah I think that's really true. I mean, in terms of the variety, for example, of recognize there's a, a an essay written by uh, Adedeo Perkovich about cl claiming her space as a, a high school student and having gone through Central Park and finding out about Seneca Village. I mean, we, we have so much about our history that has been erased that we don't know about. And she was walking through Central Park and saw a, a small plaque. This is where Seneca Village happened in the 1800s. It was a thriving black community right where Central Park is now. And actually that community was destroyed. Uh, the houses were evacuated. I mean, people were evicted for their homes so that they could put a park there supposedly for the people. And that was a vibrant community, a black community, uh, and a multiracial community too, because there were other people who lived in the community together that we knew nothing about. And how as a teenager, 
how could you not know this? How could you not know this growing up and, and living close to Central Park? Uh, or how as a nation, you can't know about what happened uh, in Tulsa in, in 1921, unspeakable. I mean, a history of hundreds of people who were killed, a whole community that was destroyed, burned, bombed. Um, and we don't know it in our history. So that narrative, that footprint, that making it public speaking in our own voices and discovering our history is something not only uh, Blacks need to, do, to, to know, but everybody needs to know so that we can have, uh, have social justice. And I think too, um, it's important that we continue to write and produce uh, books that's, that uh, bring our experiences to life, our history, our culture, but I think what's missing in the equation is there aren't that many books written by white authors about the white experience from an enlightened point of view. By that I mean, from time to time, we'll get inquiries from, from white writers who uh, want to write or uh, submit a manuscript about a black person you know, uh, about some aspect of black history. And we always say, well, why don't you write about what it was like when you were growing up and how, how did you deal with racism in your family since you now believe that you're not racist anymore? How did you get to that point where you're not, uh, you're not racist anymore? And, and I think we need those kinds of books, particularly for white children, because our books are sort of, uh, helping to expand the horizon for uh, people of color and, and black children and, and white children to some degree. But I think writing about the white experience from an enlightened point of view would actually um, make the equation complete, you know? And, and, and I, I pray that, that there are right, white writers who are looking, I know there are a couple of books like that, but we need many of them. Yes, the narrative of that internal struggle with white folks dealing with ethical and moral issues in that spectrum of coming to a place of not understanding their privilege when they do, to understanding systemic racism, to have that documented and explained in different ways, a narrative, a fiction, or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like an informational text, all that needs to be out there. You are absolutely right, because to yeah. understand that struggle is to better understand, you know, like, how how to how to reach you know folks differently to make that connection of why these things are happening, and and and, and by doing that, it really puts it on a human struggle where right. we are all engaged and involved in in this this effort to make this a better and a fair a uh, fair world. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, Wade is sure. Um, you know, as we're talking about inclusions, why God contact you about well. Not just him, like you said, several have contacted you. Um, when we think about what's been in the news lately about the exclusion of Black literature in classrooms and in society, you know, it's, it's really tr troubling. You know, when we think about these school boards are making efforts to exclude uh, uh, books uh, written by black folks, for black folks, and for really for everybody, like we just like you just said, you know, I, I know they kind of make you cringe when you hear those, you know, when you see those stories uh, come across 
the, the news screen or however you catch the news at, as publishers of books. Well, you know, we, we don't we don't believe in in cens censorship, uh, but this whole um, anti truth <laughs> uh, narrative that's coming out is playing out in Texas and Virginia, and uh, it it's it it speaks to the fear that people in power or some people have of questioning the truth that uh, the 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 history of indigenous people is is not the Thanksgiving uh, pilgrim turkey story. Um, and there's a lot invested in, in, in a capitalist society of keeping those narratives uh, going. Um, so I think to play on people's fears uh, that the black man is coming, that the black man is dangerous, that uh, black boys are marginalized and need to be followed, uh, driving while black, walking while black, running in a neighborhood while black, um, these things are, are deeply embedded in systemic racism so that you do have this fallback in terms of uh, parents requesting that a, a book like Jerry Craft's book, um, New Kid on uh, New Kid or a class act be taken from the library because of some false narrative that they are perpetuating about critical race theory, uh, which it doesn't ha have anything to do with the books that are published. It has to do with the fact that there are more people of color, more people who in the LGBTQ community, uh, more indigenous people that are writing books that threaten uh, the power structure. So uh, we just have to continue to be vigilant uh, and produce uh, books uh, and recognize authors who are telling the truth. and. You know, it's it's the truth is hard to bear for some people who are very much vested in in not having it. Yes, yeah, and I and I think too, um, Pat. I see it as a part of a a larger kind of uh, uh, effort on the part of of those who are in control to contain the narrative and control the narrative about who we are uh, as a nation, who we are as as people, and I'm not surprised uh, at this. Uh, historically, whenever there's seemingly progress being made, there's always a pushback that is manifested in so many different kinds of ways. Whether you're looking at the, the civil rights movement of the, of the uh, 50s and the 60s, and then the, the uh, more majority pushback against that in the 70s and the 80s with Nixon and, and Reagan, uh, if you want to go back, you know, to um, the end of the Civil War uh, during the period of Reconstruction, we have t 10 to 12 years of, of progress where Black people were, uh, had some agency, uh, but then there was a pushback, you know, an enormous pushback. And that's when uh, you, you get the, the Jim Crow laws and, and uh, a new form of, uh, of uh, slavery, you know, called, called Jim Crow. So I, I think What's different, hopefully, about this period is that there are more people who are, when I say people, white people who are enlightened and understand that we cannot go back to the way it was and they will become um, not just allies, because I don't like to use that term ally, but become partners uh, in continuing to push uh, for progress. But 
what's happening is to me, it's a natural reaction on the part of folks who want to continue the, the racist uh, uh, supremacy uh, mm. narrative that they've been propagating for forever, you know, and 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 uh, I think they they are desperate now because they can no longer control the narrative the way they used to, you know, because there are so many ways that we can communicate with each other. We can get information out. We can connect with each other, you know. So trying to to um, to they're not just uh, talking about you know these books. They're actually banning a lot of these books, right. and we just, we we just don't hear about what's happening in a lot of these these uh, school districts yes, where yes. committees are actually banning books. You know, so um, it's an onslaught. You know, and I think we have to continue to push against them, and then those white people who are our partners need to continue to speak up. Hey, my name is Patrick Oliver, and uh, this is Tiffany Fontenot. I was invited by Tiffany Fontenot to be part of this, uh, who's a library extraordinaire to be part of this uh, V-blog that she has created and uh, had a pleasure of being part of it. So we're here once a month on Saturday, having very important conversations about young uh, people, particularly our boys, making sure they have access to books. And so we bring innovators on like uh, Wade and, and Cheryl Hudson who is here with us today. We'll be getting to some questions soon. So I just want folks to, to you know, get your questions ready. I know some of you have made comments already that I've, uh, I've saw. Thank you for your comments. Uh, so yeah, so we're here once a month on Saturday. So look out for us once a month on Saturday to be here. Go ahead, Tiffany. I was gonna say- uh, Tiffany, could I, I wanted to ask uh, your question. Um, as a librarian, I mean, what do you see uh, that's really happening in terms of the progress that has been made? And, you know, if the progress in terms of inclusion, diversity and all of that, do you think that we can maintain it and, and continue to grow that progress? What do you see it as a librarian? I see a lot of boots on the ground librarians who understand the importance of getting these books in kids' hands. I see, quite honestly, a lot of fear of leadership in terms of implementing this because a lot of them don't understand the cultural competency to understand how to navigate ensuring that censorship doesn't happen and things like that. So it's like, I think um, for the librarians that are there, they're doing the work and creating the programming and things like that. But when there's community backlash, that's when it becomes a problem, right? And it's how to deal with that and to have the leadership to support the backlash and know that in the end, in the democratic society, we all have access. We have first amendment rights to knowledge and education. That's why these public libraries were invented and came about, mm -hmm. right? So we mm -hmm. have to have this information and we have to have the, comp the cultural competency because we're in a, in, a, in a profession that's what 80 something percent white you know what I mean? To be mm -hmm. able to, you know, like ensure that the information of minoritized folks is represented and available and accessible. I see these librarians working in school libraries and everything, but they're fighting an uphill battle and we need a lot more leadership 
within the profession in terms of library directors, you know, and, and, and policies and things like that to ensure that they have something to stand on to make sure we have these books available. Are you hopeful? I'm hopeful, but I know it's an iterative, slow struggle. But I am hopeful because there is a lot more enlightenment. Like you've been saying, it's harder to hide the truth and these conversations are being had. But for every two steps forward, there's that one step back in policy. You know, So we just have to keep finding ways to counter that to keep it moving. But I see a lot of librarians doing great work and we need to get more minoritized librarians in this profession, point blank, period. Yep. Because libraries, they are the hubs, you know, like you were saying. And, and folks need to understand, you mentioned the word policy. We have to vote, folks, you know, because that way we, we know we can have friendly politicians who will uh, support librarians um, being in our neighborhoods. And then at the same time, uh, those are your taxpayer dollars, you right. know. So why not support libraries? Your money is being used, whether you like it or not, to support public uh, libraries. So it's important. Tiffany, I, I love their point about we got to get into the profession. We need to have our kids think about librarianship. And, and ask, go ahead. I was going to say, ask about why library programming isn't, they should be having book clubs on Defiant and recognize. Why aren't they? And, and to the same point that there are some politicians who are leading backlash uh, by asking or requiring or saying, uh, here are, I, I want a list of all of the books that you have published. I, I can't remember the name of the legislator. I think in Kraus, Texas, Kraus. Who, in who Texas, Kraus. Yeah, yeah, Kraus. Yeah, yeah. Who had a, a list of eight hundred and fifty titles. Titles, and most of which were written by people of color or people in the LGBTQ community. And I think there was a librarian who responded to that by saying, and that's a fear tactic to to tie people up and say, you know, you know, like they, these shouldn't be in the library because one or two people object to uh, a, a book for their child, so it should be pulled from the library. Uh, PEN America fights against censorship and there are library policies that support public education. And I think this librarian wrote uh, an essay to say that this is unfair for the, this politician to request this when all of the books in the library are a part of the card catalog and it's public knowledge. So that shouldn't be something that he's requesting of a library to do to see if that book is in your collection. That's 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 diverting, that's diversionary tactics to get people to say, oh, these books in the library, uh, we, sh we shouldn't have them there and they should come off of the shelves until we find out if it offends one or two people in the community. So there are a lot of strategies that people to the right and a part of some other larger point uh, are trying to make about access to uh, people of color and, and, and people who are, have been defined in the margins. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the game plan. Yeah. Is, is to, is to um, raise uh, questions about these titles. So then as, as Tiffany was saying, people who are librarians and teachers don't know what to do. So rather than deal with the backlash from sometimes several parents, they would they would remove a, a, a book from the reading list, you know, for that reason. I, I was going to ask you uh, too, because you you're in, involved in the community. What do you see, you know, from um, a community aspect in terms of 
progress that's being made? Are, are, we, are we making headway in reaching black boys, uh, in, in changing the landscape? I mean, what, what do you see? And we, we heard what Tiffany said about from the librarian perspective, and we talked about the publishing, and, and uh, right, right. So what about what about uh, from the because you're you're doing programs around the country, right? Yeah, it's, it, that's a good question, Wade. You know, I, I, in some ways I'm elated. You know, I, I do the book engagements for you, Cheryl and Derek, and uh, other authors, and, and I'm happy to see a lot of librarians are actually contacting me. You know, for next year. You know, of course. A lot of them want to talk about Black History Month. We was like, I try to remind them, look, Black authors are available <laughs> more than just Black History Month. Yep. You know, but I, we are getting the inquiries, and some of the inquiries that I'm getting from some of the librarians and the educators are specific about their concern about Black boys. You know, so that's nice to see. You know, in their you know email uh, inquiry, they're saying, hey, we in this community, we're Title One school, uh, a free lunch school, hey. What can your authors, writers, can provide to our school via Zoom right now or on site that will speak to our, you know, the concern that we have for Black boys? So I am seeing, uh, uh, you know, those direct inquiries. You know, not enough in terms of the statistics associated, associated with Black boys in literacy. We should, I mean, it should, I mean, school should be just looking hard and consistently for ways. Uh, to reach uh, black boys, particularly through the, all this literature that's that's available out there now, you know. So I am seeing, you know, a, a sense of urgency, but not to the level that we see if we talk about the educational deficiencies of black boys when it comes to literacy. And as we well know, if black boys are not doing well in language arts, they most certainly are struggling in, in, in the sciences, in social studies, you know, in, in math, you know. So it's you know we have to make sure our boys can read. So way excellent question, but not, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some, some requests for programming, but not to the level that it really should be. I think there needs to be imagining of how we do this, because as we hear, a lot of teachers are leaving the profession. So how can we utilize them differently to solve those type of issues? How can we use our libraries differently? I think we need to, in our community advocates, can, can teachers train the community literacy advocates differently so that we can get literacy differently within our communities. We need to think about training the trainers differently and implementing programs like that. So I think with COVID and everything happening in this, this, this shakeup kind of in, in the structure of things is an important time to really reconceptualize our outreach and how, we're, how our skill sets can be used differently to get these messages out there. No, I, I agree with you. I think Pat and, and Cheryl and I have talked about uh, this in the past, um, we need to find ways to engage uh, people in the community, uh, church groups, uh, fraternities, sororities. Uh, many of them are already organized. So it really is a matter of coming up with a game plan uh, uh, that will enable them to um, have some degree of success so they can continue to, to do that work. But, but I agree with you, Tiffany, um, but I think it's going to have to come from leadership, you know, people coming up with, with great ideas that, that can be impl implemented in the community. And those ideas don't have to necessarily come from educators or librarians. 
they can come from community uh, uh, people, community leaders as well. So the educators and the librarians have to listen yep. to these community people who are coming to them with great ideas. But I, I think it needs to be uh, an all hands on deck approach to yes. this. Yes. Yes. Most certainly. Waiting on this literacy, like advocacy, it needs to be like on such a national level. Where is our literacy convention with all these groups coming together saying, let's create our agenda? When mm -hmm. is that going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it, it's, I think it's going to have to come from, from people like us. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people in the in the community that ha they have people. Some people in the community have started that. Like uh, Tiffany, you mentioned um, online book clubs, reading clubs, reading groups that um, make literacy, which is reading, uh, being able to uh, use words in all kinds. Of, it's not just reading a book and you're learning how to spell comprehension, comprehension. comprehension and and yeah. finding directions and how to read a map and uh, how to read signs um these kinds of things can be lifted up through uh book clubs and and so that reading itself is not a chore but it's it, it's it's done for for pleasure so what we have been trying to do with just us books in the books that we have um published over the years is uh, normalize the black life in terms of, you know, uh, you know, clothes I love to wear. Something like uh, trying on playing dress up is something that you can do and you can read about and you can identify as an action um, and learn from and learn reading and labels and colors uh, without it being a chore, without it being something, oh, I hate to read because i got to read this long passage about X, Y, and Z. You do know, a report. Up to do a report. You know, have the information. You can write about cowboys, black cowboys, uh, and and learn about their the role that they played in building the West. And at the same time, dispel the imagery that you get on the reruns that are on TV with you know Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and what that was like, and also be corrective in terms of what was happening with Native American peoples who were uh, abused and, you know, their land was stolen and who was the hero who, you know, cowboys versus Indians. There's so much that you can do through literature and good literature um, that, you know, that's what we've been trying to do through Just Us Books, through the various uh, kinds of books that we publish. And I think also... Go ahead, Wayne. I was going to say, um, and again, I think Pat, you and uh, Cheryl and I have talked about this. One, one, one issue that I really have: there are a lot of uh, uh, organizations that uh, donate books to uh, to communities, um, and where on the face it looks like it's great, but one thing we found out over the years is that. It's important for children to understand that books have value and worth, right? So, I mean, they're not gonna get sneakers given to them. I'm not saying books should not be given, but I'm saying we have to really think deeply about what that means. If, if a kid wants a toy, they have, the parents have to pay for it. I mean, almost everything that they get 
they have to pay something for it. And if you're just giving books away, and we've gone through programs where we've contributed to, to uh, book donation, and we see books on the floor, I mean, in garbage cans, you know, because I think what has not happened is that there isn't um, uh, a plan in place to help these young people who are getting the books understand the value and the worth of the books. So they get the free books and they look at the cover and toss it away, you know. So the hard work of really helping them understand how important books are and sometimes giving folks things for free, it minimizes right. the worth and the value of those things. I'm not saying not to do it, but just think it through uh, when you're giving those books away, maybe have some kind of incentive uh, involved in it. So it's just not just a freebie, you know. And, and folks, and also to organizations, quit contacting black publishers and asking for free books. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Can we talk I mean, about I worked at Third World Press and, you know, the work, you know, while, while there. And he, I've even had ways some of the people who, uh, contacted me about you and Cheryl speaking, want to know if I book you, what amount of free books can they get? And I'm like, that's a whole nother conversation, y'all. Yeah, you know, yeah. it is, you know, it's, it's back to your point. We have to value literature and really appreciate what literature does for our community. But yes, yeah, an excellent point, Wade. We have to, like you said, our kids see us buying books because in right. most cases, our kids only see books at school. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Haki makes a statement, he repeats it a lot, but it makes sense, is that he said, I go to your home and see what kind of books you got on your shelf to determine what's the future of your child or, or yeah. yourself. Because you, you have books laying around your house. Hey, we know, we, we know what's happening. Can we yeah. talk about the importance of, of Black bookstores and Black publishing and how that, you know, like that needs to be supported as well? Because we have, like, it seems to be, in a, a greater awareness of black bookstores now and, and, and things of people have been creating like quasi community places and bookstores and things like that. But like this holiday season coming up, I just think it's, it's no more an important time when we talk about the value of books and supporting black literature, uh, um, the importance of understanding that these spaces exist and how important it is to support them. No, I agree, I agree with you hundred percent. When we first started in 1988, and Pat, you probably remember this, by the mid 90s, there were over 300 um, black booksellers. Uh, some of them were bookstores, some of them were a combination of, of clothing stores and, 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 and books, but there were more than three, three to 400 uh, uh, places where people could go around the country and, and buy black books. Not only that, uh, you had, uh, booksellers selling on the street. I mean, you could go to 125th Street and right. see a table full of black books being yeah. sold, you yeah. know, yeah. LA. And it was like, it was like a community kind of effort to promote literature and to promote books. And um, that died out, uh, I guess, probably uh, when we uh, came to the new, uh, the new century, uh, 2000, uh, and I think about four or five years ago, I looked at the number of black book uh, sellers. There were like maybe 50 viable ones. Yeah, yeah. Now, as you said, Tiffany, it is increasing. 
Uh, now there are a lot more um, uh, out there and we need to support them. Uh, but what I would uh, encourage uh, black booksellers to do uh, is to do more community events. Mm -hmm. uh, that is so key to really connecting to the folks in the community and getting them to support you. And you do that by uh, having activities and programs that engage them and, and interest them and, and make them want to come to your, your store, not just to buy books, but to get information. Sometimes to just to be entertained, you know, mm -hmm. with a great, a great storyteller, you know, so there are different ways of marketing your bookstore. So I would encourage them to, to do more of those kinds of things too. And on our, the We Are Here um, on Facebook page, there's a link to Black bookstores and a directory to Black bookstores. So if you don't know where your local one is, there is a link to find one. So they're all there. Um, so make sure that you, you do that. And there's no need for libraries and bookstores to compete. Right. This, this, we need to be more collaborative on that. This is just a point where it's just collaboration is key and, and both can help each other you know, and, and, and those things need to be thought of as well to me. Well, in fact, you know, we, we just did a, um, an in-person uh, book talk at uh, our local library here in East Orange and um, a um, independent bookstore actually sold our books at the library. Mm -hmm. So it was a collaboration between, between the two. Uh, and uh, I think we need to do more of those kinds of uh, collaborative efforts, uh, particularly uh, libraries supporting uh, black bookstores and independent bookstores yep. to come to sell the books. Libraries could be buying their books from independent bookstores. If you don't know that that pipeline needs to be happening. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. yeah. So folks, we have a, a, a time for a couple of questions. Go ahead and put it in uh, the comment uh, section. Um, I just want to shout out to Sharon Wade uh, we talk about the anthology recognized, but I really enjoy We Rise, We Resist, You Raise Our Voices. That's one of my favorites. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I hadn't quite got to um, recognize yet, but We Rise, uh, excellent selection of uh, contributors that are here. So I want folks, you know, to get this one as well. I've been doing some of the essays with, with some middle school and high schoolers, and they really resonated with it, you know, because the stories were short, quick, and gave them a chance to think about something they can really, really uh, relate to. Uh, Black History Month is coming up, Women's History Month. So, folks, this is a beautiful book for young people. Cheryl's uh, book, Blade of Brave Black First. Cheryl, you want to just tell them a little bit about that real quick? Well, uh, Brave Black First is uh, really a collaborative effort, too, uh, between myself. Crown is the publisher, so I'm the author of this book. It was illustrated by Aaron K. Uh, Robinson, and uh, it's a 50-plus African-American women who changed the world. And it's really a wonderful book. Uh, research was done, um, some of the research done at the Smithsonian Institute, so it's really a collaboration between... Um, the Smithsonian Institute and National um, uh, Museum of African-American uh, History and Culture. Um, and these, again, are short entry bio biographies of women who were fearless, bold, change makers. Uh, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, uh, uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Ida B. Wells, uh, short, brief biographies. But one of the things that's so wonderful about it is the, the illustrations uh, pick up from um, 
Erin Robinson are, are gorgeous, beautiful illustrations. And the research done was done at the Smithsonian. So for each person in the book, there is an object or a, a publication that's a part of the National Museum of African-American History and Culture or part of the Smithsonian. So in the index, you can find uh, clothing and letters, uh, photographs uh, related to the, the personalities in this book actually in the museum. So you can go there and touch and feel and, and see what's happening with each one mm -hmm. of them. You know, and I mentioned uh, Black History Month. Myself, I don't skip all over Kwanzaa and Christmas. These are perfect books. Black Friday coming up. These are perfect books for our children to have for you know Christmas, Kwanzaa. So let's blow up Black bookstores, Black publishers. Hit their websites and hit them hard. Wade, look y'all. Uh, Wade got skills. You know, Journey Paul. <laughs> you know, he got a little rhythm in there. You know, I, I read Paul. It's like yeah, he had he had the soul. That's so Earth, Wind, and Fire kind of smooth, uh, kind of move. So uh, Thurwall Press published a collection of his poems called Journey. And this, it's a good collection, you know. So I said, Wade got uh, all these different skills he put out there in front of us. And this is another one. So, and it's a beautiful collaboration. It shows the humbleness and how we work together. Third World Press publishes people. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Third World Press published a book. Wade could have did it himself, but he, he saw, hey, Let's do something together, hockey. And hockey had been asking away for years, and it, yeah. it, it happened. So yes, this, is, exactly. you know, this, this is the things that are going on in our community in terms of Black literary excellence that's taking place. But we need to focus in on it as opposed to some beef Kanye West is having with somebody. You know, let's talk about <laughs> the collaboration and the growth that's happening in our community around Black excellence, Black literature. Let's, let's do that. Let's stay out of the entertainment world, y'all, for a minute, for this next few months. Jump into the literary world. I want to just y'all for kind of, I know some of you entertainers going to be mad at me, but let's put a blinder for a little bit on entertainment and let's do books. You know, let's do it for our children. That's the main thing. That's what me and Tiffany is trying to do with this B block is focused on these black boys out here. You go to these schools, we do these workshops, Wade and Cheryl familiar with it. It's a repetitive thing I'm about to say, but you, if you ask black boys what their future is going to be, we know what they're going to say, folks. We yeah. know what they're going to say, professional sports. And that is because we perpetuated by enrolling them in weekend sports, you know, which I, I'm a former coach. I love sports, but why not put boys in weekend book clubs, art classes, that sort of thing, because they can become the next illustrator. Right. And if right. I could say something about the illustration, the, the thing about all of these books, uh, visual literacy is so important. Yes. Some of us uh, as, as uh, appreciators of art, the first art that we are going to see in, in our lifetime is going to be in a book. This uh, cover, which you can't, maybe I can't hold it correctly because the cover is this, done by Floyd Cooper. Beautiful. Uh, fantastic illustrator who uh, just passed away recently, but there is a color section in this book um, recognized where there are images that speak to Black Lives Matter. So not only do you see uh, Floyd Cooper, but Pat Cummings, uh, wow. Lad, beautiful. beautiful illustration yes. of Breonna Taylor. I mean, images affect us in so many ways, visually, a picture they say says a thousand words. And the, the title of this particular portrait of Brianna Taylor is Remember Her Name. Mm. 
very important that you know many of us were nameless or didn't have last names as a result of systemic racism and, and being enslaved. So there's so much that you can see in visual images, in pictures of yes. our children. The picture here on the right is by James Ransom, A Black Boy's Journey. And to see a black boy, really a dark-skinned boy, is a visual statement. That's revolutionary in terms of being in publications too, because so very often in commercial publications, you've got the light skin or brown skin or kind of middle tone uh, skin complexion to represent all black people. And we know that that's not the case that we go from the lightest to the very darkest. So um, encourage people to see in our books and in other books that are published, the, the beauty and joy of the artwork itself, which is a strong yes. indicator of how black lives matter. Like uh, this, this wonderful uh, illustration for the cover of the volume that was done uh, by Charlie Palmer. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a fantastic uh, fine artist and um, illustrator of books for, for young children. He grew up in the South. Exactly, you have it, uh, Pat. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. And uh, I mean, people pick up the book sometimes because of the cover uh, yeah. of it. Well, you mentioned Charlie Palmer. Charlie, you mentioned we're a fine artist. Charlie Palmer is well noted. I mean, he, he's a fine artist. Yeah. Yes, back, he is. To, back to Cheryl's point. You're not only buying a book, you're buying fine art. That's exactly buying, right. Pat. So you're buying fine literature and fine art. Exactly know? right. Exactly. You're on mute, Tiffany. As a teacher, use those visuals for writing prompts and discussion prompts, because those are the hooks to get kids into the word. Like understand how visual literacy works and share that knowledge so that other people can do the same to use those visuals as a form of communication to help kids get more into books as well. Cause that's a huge thing that's missing. My daughter wasn't a great reader, but she read graphic novels and graphic novels was the gateway to other books. So think about those ways when we start, you know, thinking about engaging folks with literacy. Use those mm -hmm. to, Just to mention too, that, you know, as a graphic artist, again, uh, uh, one of the artists, Don Tate wrote uh, a piece, how to be an activist and he's an author, but he, he did a, 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 an eight page story about how he came to recognize that his contribution to Black Lives Matter was being a graphic artist and putting into words and pictures and thought balloons and bubbles uh, wow. the understanding of how he could be an activist and how he could engage with his son and his family. So there are many things uh, in this volume that can be used in a lot of different ways by uh, teachers of English, uh, teachers of social studies. And to your point, Tiffany, also in the back of the book, there are pictures of the illustrators of the uh, biographies of people who contributed, but also short um, descriptions by each one of the artists. There are eight artists in this book who talk about their inspiration for what they did in terms of uh, really uh, curating this, this book. We ask people to speak to the value of how, what does it mean to you that Black Lives Matter? And everybody gave a different response, a different visual picture. Um, and so each one of them, London Ladd, for example, was inspired by uh, the case of, of Breonna Taylor and what was going on at that time and his relationship to his daughter who was around the same age of Breonna Taylor. So you can see how visual artists are in, uh, in 
influenced by the news and by things going on around them in their lives. And they are the ones who are really uh, putting, putting the, the footprint there of what our culture is in the present time. Fine artists and writers do that for us. Yeah. Well, hey, it has been great. I want to give a shout out to some of the folks who've been online. Gwen Mitchell, who was over at Third World Press, well, used to be at Third World Press. She's over here with us. Dr. Janae Moore, who's a psychiatrist. Julie Allen, Dr. Some folks I know, a lot of the folks on here, I don't know many of them, but I had some shout out to some folks who are in, who are authors, writers, literary enthusiasts, and, 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 and social workers who are in and really understand the importance of our children having the kind of books that they need uh, in life. Cheryl, away, you want to give us a, a closing comment and then tip and you can go close it out after them. Cheryl, you want to? Great, I, I've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. never get enough of you though. You know? Yeah, yeah. but well, we, you know, I, we, um, we look forward to these kinds of uh, forums, uh, Pat and Tiffany, uh, so that we can share. Um, What's important for us is not only that we tell our story, uh, the Just Us book story, but we share your story, Tiffany and, and uh, Pat, because it's, it's, it's really a, a collaborative kind of uh, effort to make change and sometimes share. And that's why I asked you guys a couple of questions, because I felt that you had a lot to uh, bring to the table in, in our discussion. And I Thanks, think that I think what you what you shared helped to flesh out, you know, uh, the discussion so that it can be more impactful. So thank you for this opportunity and uh, hey call us on call on us again. We'd love to share again. I just appreciate the both of y'all for creating a lane in terms of black literacy. It, it, that needs to be forefronted just in terms of your con contribution because uh, you created uh, a reflection, you know, like like I said, for my kids and for, for people you will never meet, you have influence. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, oh, before we go, I do, I do want to um, just uh, recognize some of the, um, the outstanding uh, Black book creators who've Going on to to be uh, with the ancestors uh, uh, this year. Uh, Floyd Cooper, Cheryl mentioned Floyd. Floyd did the illustration for uh, Recognize. Uh, also, Bernard Ford, um, who was um, a forerunner and a pioneer in uh, in book publish children book publishing. Uh, Jerry Pinkney just recently uh, transitioned uh, uh, about two two or three weeks ago. In fact. Yeah. We we were we were doing uh, a celebration for Burnett and Andrea Pinkney, who is uh, Jerry's uh, uh, daughter-in-law, was one of the participants. And before we actually went live, uh, she received a call that there was you know a, a serious issue in her family. And uh, so later on, we found out that Jerry uh, had passed away. And also Eloise Greenfield yes. uh, passed away. And so we want to recognize uh, these these trailblazers, these people who, who open doors and, and knock down barriers, uh, so that uh, we can continue. And the progress that has been made so far, and there's still a lot more to be done. Uh, we we owe a, a debt of gratitude to those those folks who came before. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Hey, I want to give a, a quick shout out, and thank you for that way too. A bookstore in my home state is showing this in their bookstore, Pyramid Art, Art and Books. Phyllis Brown, thank you so oh, much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. Phyllis Brown, thank you so much for having us on in, in the bookstore and, and sharing some comments with you. So, again, uh, uh, thank you so much. A lot of good stuff coming up in the future. Me, my, Wade, myself, and Derek Barnes got some coming up here. In, in, in the future, we're going to do something around Black boys and, and, and being, being literate. So, again, we got a lot coming up. Stay tuned. Stay in the mix. And, um, hey, uh, uh, just be nice to everybody as we all get through this, get through this very tough time of COVID. And we're finally getting back out there and seeing each other. So keep the smiles when you do step outside. Peace and blessings, everybody. Peace and blessings. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.